Good morning. Wow, I heard the flames, didn't you? We're going to learn a little something about those flames as we go through our scripture this morning. We've been thinking together about defining moments in the lives of some heroes of our faith. And I've been thinking about what, what constitutes a defining moment. It could be a time of great clarity when you suddenly see your future, your calling, your course in life more clearly than you ever have before. You might realize, this is what I was made for. A defining moment can also be when we are pushed to our limits and we know we have to make a stand for what is right. A defining moment could be a lightning bolt when you clearly realize, I've been going the wrong way this whole time and I have to turn around. A defining moment could be when you realize that after this day, your life will never be the same because of a big event or change. You know that you'll be a different person with a new outlook from this day forward. I've been thinking about my own life and my own defining moments. There was a day in the first year of our marriage when I was struggling with what the Lord wanted me to do with my gifts and my life. My husband asked me a question that changed everything for me. He asked, in your wildest dreams, what would you do? That single question and its answer brought me to my calling of being a pastor. When I brought my fledgling sense of call to my father and other older friends and they affirmed that calling, that whole experience was a defining moment for me. And it started with a simple question from my husband. I can remember a defining moment in our daughter's life when she was perhaps a sophomore in high school. She'd stayed after school to work on a homecoming float with some friends from her grade, all chicken wire and paper mache. I picked her up at her friend's house and she jumped into the car. I could tell how excited she was. And she burst out, I know what I want to do when I grow up. And I said, what? And she said, I want to be the person who makes people into a team to do a job together with each person using their gifts to do the part of the job that fits them best. That's what I want to do. And that is what she does every day. That was a great defining moment for, for her. I think of defining moments as landings on a staircase. You were climbing in one direction, then you reach the landing, you reorient yourself in your defining moment and you turn in a new direction to keep on climbing. As you think over your life and the times that have been defining moments for you, know that I would love to hear about those if you would like to share them with me. We've been thinking together as a church community about defining moments in the lives of great men and women in the Bible of Nehemiah and the great work of rebuilding the, the wall of Jerusalem, of Ezra and the restoration of the temple and the law, of Haggai and the call to prioritize the house of God, of Esther and her courage in standing up for her people in a strange land. Today we'll think together about the prophet Malachi, the last in our series. His name literally means my messenger. And his calling was to be God's messenger, a prophet. He spoke to his own community and told them what God would say to them if God were there in person. 
He faithfully fulfilled this prophetic calling according to the patterns laid down for him in Scripture. He knew himself as one in a long line of prophets. Prophets often do not have an easy message to share. It's usually strongly corrective, as they say, and people don't ever like to hear how far from a faithful path they have strayed. So prophets have a hard time. We'll hear what Malachi had to tell his people, but a word first about his place in the Bible and in salvation history. Malachi is the last prophet in the Hebrew Bible, and we find him right at the end of the Old Testament. He didn't know it at the time, of course, but after his message, there would be 400 years of silence with no prophet speaking that we remember in Scripture now. And then the era of Jesus began with his birth, his ministry, teaching, miracles, death, and resurrection. Jesus' life happened and changed history forever. Jesus was the fulfillment of God's plan for salvation, and his era was the crucial point in salvation history, a longing for a Messiah, an anointed one, who came from God to bring his people salvation, all came to fruition in him. Stories about Jesus, his teaching, his miracles, his relationships, his travels, his clashes with the religious authorities of his day, his passion, death, and resurrection, all these accounts from eyewitnesses began to circulate and be collected and treasured and passed along, and these formed the Gospels. Malachi stands at the end of the Old Testament. He looks back into his tradition and fulfills it, and then he turns and looks longingly into a future he can hardly imagine, a future when a refiner will come and purify his people, and a faithful remnant will receive the Son of Righteousness, the Messiah. He stands like a person on a continental divide and looks across into a whole new land, the land of the Savior. For us with our Bibles, we just flip a few pages and move straight from Malachi and find the Gospel of Matthew. We don't register that there were centuries of longing and watching the horizon between Malachi and Jesus. I like this way of thinking of his name, which I saw in a terrific Bible Project video about Malachi. It reminds us that he is one of those people who stands in the gap between past and future. As he fulfilled his calling as a prophet, what was the sin Malachi had to tell his people about? What was his prophetic message? There are six sections in his very short book. In each section, God states what the sin is, and then the people accuse God, dispute, reject what he said, whine, and try to wriggle away from God. And then God will literally have the last word, because God is God, and does have the last word, and God has words of judgment, but also of hope. Malachi's time was a hundred years after the people had returned from the exile into Babylon and then Persia. The temple, the walls, and the city were rebuilt. The time of restoration under Ezra and Nehemiah was in the past. People had come back into possession of the Torah, and they were hearing it again. You would think they were in a golden age of faith, having been returned to their own promised land that their grandparents and parents had brought back from ruin. 
They had access again to their faith community, their place of worship. They had safety from enemies. They had knowledge again of their own scripture, priests to serve and instruct them and lead them in worship. And yet, Malachi is looking at people who are as corrupt, faithless, and selfish as they've ever been. As we hear about their sin, I know I want to examine myself in my own time to see if their sins are my own or our own. As we look at Malachi's message, all the sin he sees flows first out of the people's lack of love for God. So first of all, Malachi relays to them what the Lord is saying. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? The people have gotten whiny and petulant And they seem to be saying to God, what have you done for me lately? Malachi sees the people taking God's love for granted, no matter how badly they shortchange him. God reminds them of his history of loving them in the past. It should be second nature that they love him as children, loving their own father, but they just don't. By the way, look at this conversation. I have loved you, says the Lord. What should come next? The people should answer their loving God back. I love you, Lord. But instead they say, how have you loved us? Then God turns to the priest who should be modeling for the people the way that people should love and respect God. But the priests are corrupt and so surprised that God would ever point it out. O priests who despise my name, you say, how have we despised your name? by offering polluted food on my altar. And you say, how have we polluted it? By thinking that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals and sacrifice, is that not wrong? We are, and they were, supposed to offer God our first fruits, the best that we have. Do we offer God a tithe, or do we give from our leftovers, if we feel like it? Nehemiah's priests and people call sickly, flawed animals to offer to the Lord their God. And when they hear that God sees their disrespectful treatment of his worship, this is their attitude. What a weariness this is, you say, and you sniff at me, says the Lord God of hosts. They have an attitude of sass and backtalk, don't they? It's a special kind of disrespect. People and priests seem to like turning God's questions back on God as if they're playing that children's trick of saying, I know you are, but what am I? It speaks of their self-approval and their willingness to play petty games with God. God points out that other nations seem to know and revere him. For the rising of the sun to its setting, my name is great among the nations. And in every place, incense is offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name is great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But God's own chosen priests, those who are supposed to teach the people how to think and act and worship, you have turned aside from the way, God says. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. In our own time, as you well know, corrupt pastors and religious leaders 
have fallen and brought disrepute on all of us. Malachi would say, that is nothing new, but it is truly awful. Malachi says that God sees that men have begun to divorce the faithful wives they have to go after pagan wives for no good reason. He stands up for the spurned wives and points out that the straying husbands leave not only their wives, but the faith community to go after the new wives' gods. Judah has been faithless, an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem, for Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. Malachi continues the account of the twisted way people have begun to think about the Lord. The way he reports the words of the people, it sounds as though they are constantly surprised at having their foolish, self-serving thoughts exposed. You have wearied the Lord with your words, says Malachi. Yet you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, all who do evil are good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Those who should lead the people in the paths of righteousness don't even seem to know right from wrong. And worse, they act as if the wretched state of things is God's own fault. Where is the God of justice, they say, as though the way their world has fallen apart is all God's fault. If you think we invented not being able to tell the truth about anything, blaming our faults on anyone but ourselves, Malachi will tell you, We've been like this forever. And if you think we invented blaming things we do on God, talk to Malachi. There's a cartoon I saw once that has a person sitting with Jesus. The person asks Jesus, why do you allow hunger and poverty? And Jesus says, I was going to ask you the same thing. There's mystery at the heart of human suffering. We don't know all the reasons for things like illness, death, pain, genetic misfortune, natural disaster, and so forth. And we can sometimes in our suffering accuse God, as Malachi's people did, of injustice. Where is the God of justice? But if we are honest, we must remember that God put this world and its systems and structures in our hands. Jesus asked us to spread the ways of the kingdom of God everywhere to everyone. So when we see suffering, we have to ask, where is our responsibility in that? Is this truly a mystery or are our human fingerprints all over that injustice? Malachi then tells them that the way they use money is wrong. Will anyone rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how are we robbing you? In your tithes and offerings. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house, and thus put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you an overflowing blessing. God's people were supposed to be supporting the temple and the worship life of their community by giving a tenth of their income. 
which is called a tithe. We just had our Generosity Sunday here in which we encourage everyone to give in that same way. If his people would give, the Lord says, everyone all around would be blessed by their spiritual strength and health. That's really food for thought for us here at Peachtree. And, and if you have not yet made your gift, there should be some pledge cards right around your knees as you are seated in the pews. Would our own community and world be blessed in an overflowing way by our tithing? I think it would. And then Malachi gets to rock bottom. You have spoken harsh words against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said, it is vain to serve God. What do we profit by keeping his command or by going about as mourners before the Lord of hosts? Actually, the people have been saying that it is not worth it to them to serve the Lord, that it profits them nothing to keep his commands or to be sorry for their sin. Such people are enough to make any prophet despair. But Malachi does not despair. He turns from his people and he looks out on the horizon and he sees something new is coming, something new that God is going to do. He knows that where people are incapable, God is well able. The people are doing the same old awful thing but God is now going to do a new thing. God will renew, restore, and save. Malachi has no idea when he writes that it will take 400 years, but he tells them the way it will be. Here's what Malachi sees on the horizon. See, I'm sending my messenger to prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight Indeed, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Malachi, whose name, remember, means my messenger, says that one day there will be another messenger. That messenger will usher in a new age, a time will, when God will suddenly appear. To the people that sneered at God in Jerusalem who said, where is the God of justice? Malachi says, oh, he is coming. And when he does, his presence will be searing and cleansing. We heard Sheldon sing about this today. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he's like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he will purify the descendants of Levi and refine them like gold and silver until they present offerings to the Lord in righteousness. Malachi uses two metaphors. The launderer who uses strong soap to cleanse something dirty so that it can be used again. I don't know about you, but I identify with the launderer there trying to get the clothes clean so they are fit to wear again. I did that all day long yesterday, actually. Malachi sees the messenger as trying to render the people clean and pure, ready to meet the Lord. The other metaphor is the refiner's fire. 
Malachi in his everyday life must have watched a Jerusalem gold or silversmith superheat and purify his metals before making something beautiful. He would have built a very hot fire to heat a mixed batch of metal full of impurities to a molten state. Then he would skim off the impurities that floated to the top. The end product would be a pure and useful batch of silver or gold. Malachi imagines the day of the messenger's coming to be a time when the messenger brings people back into purity, ready to have God make something beautiful of them. God is scrubbing and heating, not to destroy or eliminate, but to purify his people and make them ready for the day of the coming of the Lord. As you hear about the day of the Lord, you might be wondering what that means. Is the day of the Lord the end of time? Or is it the judgment day? Is it the coming of the Messiah? Or is it the second coming? This may be a yes to all situation. And we should hold loosely to all these ideas and be open to God breaking into history to make things right in whatever way God so chooses. Malachi, as he looks out over the horizon and imagines the day of the Lord, sees that there will be many who think of this day with fear and a group of faithful people who view the day of the Lord not with anxiety but with joy. Others may be shaken, but the faithful will greet it gladly. Here's how Malachi talks about it. Then those who revered the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord took note and listened, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who revered the Lord and thought on his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, my special possession on the day when I act, and I will spare them as parents, spare their children who serve them. See, the day is coming. And here's the way the gospel writer Luke describes the day of the Lord. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, stand up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Do you hear the joy that the faithful can feel about that day? No fear, only joy. Others may be hitting the tornado shelter, but the faithful can welcome that day with heads held high. The day of the Lord that Malachi strained his eyes to see on the far horizon, he described it like this, but for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. The son of righteousness is someone who will rise as bright and beautiful as the sun, and he will bring miraculous healing. So, a forerunner and messenger like Elijah who will prepare the way for the coming of the Lord, the Lord who will refine and purify us, heal us, and make us ready to welcome him with joy. Does all of that sound familiar to you? Does that sound like John the Baptist and Jesus our Savior to you? Because it does to me. 
We are preparing for Advent. Next Sunday, it begins, the time when we remember the arrival of that Son of Righteousness who was foretold and whose way was prepared by his cousin John. Like Malachi, we are looking forward to the horizon of Advent, ready to celebrate the appearance all over again of Jesus. We will be as glad to welcome him as people are to see the sun after a long, dark night. We also long for a Savior to come with healing in his wings, especially after the pandemic time we have endured together. We're a lot like Malachi. We look backward at our past and then turn to look forward to the future. This morning, we began worship by looking forward as we welcome those little ones into our church family. They are a part of our bright future as God's church along with their parents, and we look forward to that future with great hope. And this morning, we will turn and look back at all those we gave back to God over the past two years. We will try to live according to their faithful example. We will remember them and celebrate their resurrections. Next, as we come to the close of this service, we'll be reading the names of all our members who've joined the church triumphant since November of 2019, mindful that in these times, we wanna take note of all those who have died in months when we could not gather to remember them. Today, we will remember them together. Now let's pray. Dear Lord, we know that you are the God of past, present, and future, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. We thank you for helping us to look forward to the hope of your coming and for helping us to look back, remembering all those who worshiped with us, who now rejoice with us upon another shore and in a greater light, that multitude which no one can number, whose hope was in the word made flesh, and with whom, in the Lord Jesus, we are forever one.